Good morning, Grace Bible Church. We're uh, here at what we uh, think is going to be the last day for this arrangement, and I'm looking forward so much to uh, seeing some of you at least next week at uh, church. So today we're back on uh, our study in Job. We're pushing pretty close to the end. I had suggested that today you read ahead uh, chapters 38 through the end of uh, the book, chapter 42. We won't cover all that today. I'm thinking that we'll uh, look just at chapters 38 and 39. So for next week, you can read again chapters 40 to the end. We have another week or two yet uh, before we finish Job. So let's uh, get our screen up and uh, check out where we have been. Well, we've followed uh, this story now for uh, uh, five, six, seven weeks. <clears throat> we've seen that Job is suffering. And he doesn't know why. Uh, moreover, uh, he can't get any feedback from God. So <clears throat> a theme that runs through this uh, book is, uh, how do I get to God? Chapter 23, Job says, if only I knew where I might find him, then I could come into his presence, then we could talk together. <clears throat> but he can't seem to find God, he can't seem to get the feedback, and so he proceeds to a, uh, a risky, bold proposition. And uh, what he does is try to provoke a response from God. And to do that, he initiates a lawsuit that he is sure he can win. <clears throat> so chapter 13 is one of the places where we, we see this. He says, uh, he says, now that I've prepared my case, I know that I will be vindicated. Uh, and then he says to God, look, uh, if we get together, uh, you summon me and I'll answer you. Or, on the other hand, let me speak first and then you reply to me. And Job has great confidence that he is going to be cleared, vindicated from the charges that uh, not only uh, the Satan brought against him, which he's not really aware of, but he's heard from uh, all three of his friends that they're convinced he must have sinned. He must have done something to bring this suffering upon himself, and he is sure that uh, he will be vindicated and cleared of those charges if he can get to appear before God. So, today, chapter 38, he gets what he has been asking for. And uh, in 38 through 41, God speaks to him out of the storm. Remember last week, we looked at uh, Elihu, and uh, Elihu is talking to Job about uh, nature. And as he's talking... In the background, a storm appears, and it gets closer and closer, and there's lightning and thunder, and, uh, 
and Elihu says, wow, my heart is pounding from all of this. It's a dramatic scene. Well, in this chapter, then, God himself speaks, and uh, Job now gets the encounter that he has been looking for. So let's read a number of these verses. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? Now, try to keep track of these uh, yellow highlighted words because they're significant for this section. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Who let the wild donkey go free? Who untied its ropes? I gave it the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as its habitat. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring it to your threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs on the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rider. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom and spread its wings toward the south? Does the eagle soar at your command and build its nest on high? Well, Job has been asking for a day in court, and uh, today we see that he gets what he has been asking for. Job thinks that he is ready to confront God. And uh, we noted these verses already in Job 13. 
He says, now that I have prepared my case, I know that I'll be vindicated. I know I'm going to be successful arguing my case before God. I am innocent, and as we've seen, part of Job's growing assessment of the situation is not only that he is innocent, but that there's something wrong with God's justice. God has not treated him well, has not treated him fairly. So, as he anticipates a day in court, he says to God, summon me and I will answer, or let me speak first and you reply. Well, as we've just read in chapter 38, God chooses the first of those options. He summons Job and questions him so that Job can give answer. But what Job asks for turns out to be a surprise for him. And it's a surprise because for these first two chapters at least, God doesn't address anything that seems to directly concern Job. At least it's not what Job thought he was going to talk about in this court case. Job thinks, I want to talk about my righteousness. I want to talk about uh, vindication. I want my name cleared before my friends and before the watching world, that I'm not sinful, that I didn't deserve what happened to me, and I want to talk to God about his justice, about the way he is running his world, or at least the way he's running my world. Well, surprise. Uh, God speaks first, and he redirects the conversation totally. And uh, what he does is invite Job to take a walk through the cosmos, to talk, take a walk through creation, and consider various aspects of the world, indeed, of the universe. So, as we've just seen, they talk about uh, they talk about the cycles of the weather. They talk about the origins of the world, God's uh, basic creation of the universe, and then they talk about a whole bunch of different animals and the way they behave and so forth. You say, well, what has this got to do with anything? And a lot of people even some commentators, feel that, uh, that this is not very helpful, that God is just uh, dodging the real issues and, uh, and, and that he's uh, silencing Job simply by ignoring the questions uh, that Job has and asking a bunch of other questions that Job can't answer. Well, what are we going to make out of this ourselves? Here's what I think is taking place. Uh, God is deconstructing Job's confidence. We might even say Job's arrogance. Why is that important? Well, as a lot of you know, I, I spent most of my career as a teacher. And uh, uh, I know many of you have been in teaching profession as well. And there's something that you learn as a teacher uh, fairly early on, and, uh, and I gradually learned it, and it just became a, 
a deep conviction over my uh, many years of teaching. And it's this, that there are some students you can't teach anything. It's not a matter of their basic ability. It's an issue of attitude. Students can come to a teacher with, uh, with various kinds of attitudes that actually prohibit them from learning and growing. And one common uh, area that prohibits an attitude that prevents students from learning is uh, a confidence that they know more than a teacher. Uh, or at least that they know more of than the teacher does on the particular thing that the teacher is trying to convey. And as long as they have that attitude, they cannot learn. And so as a teacher, when I have recognized that at different times, I realized that one of the only ways to help that student to get to a place where they can learn is to deconstruct what they think they know. And so there's a number of ways to do that. You can just, you can work with them to try to show the fallacy of what they believe. Uh, you, can, uh, you can try to show them in one way or another that uh, they don't know what they think they know. And I believe that's what God is doing here because God really wants to help Job to grow, to grow in his relationship with God, but there are certain things standing in, in the way. And one of the main issues here is Job's arrogance, his overconfidence that he understands what justice is, that he understands how God ought to be running the world, <clears throat> and and that he is very confident of his own rightness in the way he thinks about himself. So there's deconstruction that's going on. Job is asked a whole series of questions for which he has no answer. That is not merely to silence Job. It's not to humiliate Job, although it is to humble Job. There's a difference, isn't there, between... Uh, uh, being humiliated and being humbled. Being humiliated is a, a, a sad thing. It's an evil thing. It's something that God doesn't do. But to be humbled, that's a good thing, biblically. That's one of the fruits of the Spirit. And God works in our lives in various ways to humble us. And his questioning of Job, leading Job on a tour through creation, is part of that. So let's, uh, let's go with Job as he listens to the Lord. Now, there's a striking uh, little point here, but I think it's, it's, though it's easily missed, it's something we ought to spend a moment with. Notice that in chapter 38, it's the Lord who speaks out of the storm. And Lord here is, as we've noted in, in uh, months past, uh, that's that divine name, Yahweh. It's the covenant name. It's the name of personal relationship with God. <clears throat> Yahweh, Lord, is used in Job 1 and 2, 
in the dialogue between God and Satan. Then it disappears from chapter 3 all the way through chapter 37. When Job and his friends, Job and Elihu, <clears throat> talk about God, they refer to him as God or uh, to God Almighty. But now in chapter 38, it is Yahweh who speaks out of the storm. And it reminds us <clears throat> that God is a God of relationship. This is the same Lord who entered into covenant with Abraham. And he speaks of Abraham as his friend. This is the same God who brought Israel out of Egypt and uh, thundered out of the storm on Mount Sinai and called Moses up to speak with him because he said, Moses is someone I will speak to as one man speaks to his friend. Uh, so Yahweh is the God of relationship. And in all of this struggle that Job has, we understand that in the background, there is a God, Yahweh, who is Job's friend, believe it or not, who is convinced that Job will pass the test that his life is going through. And God wants that for him. I think that's an important point to make here, that when we go through suffering as well, it's not that God wants to humiliate us, it's not that he wants to punish us, but that he wants to call us into a deeper relationship with himself. Now, that's kind of counterintuitive, but it's important. It's part of the message of Job. So God says to Job, Job, come with me on this tour of the wonders of creation. Let me ask you some questions about it. And, uh, of course, uh, the questions are all questions that Job is not able to answer. Where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Uh, have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? And so forth. So there's this broad look at the wonders of creation, and then there is the look at specific animals and how they uh, function and what they are like. It is a... Uh, uh, I think it's a friendly invitation. There is some sarcasm in it, but it's, it's light sarcasm. Uh, so God says uh, to Job at one place, Surely you know the answer to my questions, for you were already born. You have lived so many years. There's some sarcasm there. Or kind of humorously, he asks the question, do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are? Well, obviously, Job doesn't have that kind of power. And, and so there's the, the gentle prodding of Yahweh there. And then there's the humor of the 
uh, whole discussion, the poem about the ostrich, which is, uh, uh, I, I love it. The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and feathers of the stork. Well, she lays her eggs in the ground, but she's unmindful of them. She doesn't seem to take care of her eggs. She treats her young harshly. She doesn't care that her labor as is in vain. Why? Well, because that's the way God has made her, Job. God did not entail, uh, endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. We have a kind of humorous picture of this strange bird that flaps its wings but can't fly, weighs up to 300 pounds, stands maybe eight feet tall, long skinny neck with a little head on top and from what God's saying, a pea-sized brain. She doesn't have good sense. Strange animal. And yet, the concluding statement about the ostrich is, when she spreads her feathers to run, even that's kind of humorous, right? The bird spreads its feathers to fly, but the ostrich spreads its feathers to run, and when she runs, she laughs at horse and rider. That is, she can outrun a horse and rider. Ostriches, uh, I've read, can, can hit speeds of up to 40 miles an hour. We might look at this big ostrich and say, uh, that's a great lunch for a lion. But at 40 miles an hour, the ostrich can outrun the lion. So here are some of the wonders of creation and Job is being reminded that there is so much in God's world that he doesn't understand. And with that, there is this emphasis on the wisdom of the artist. That's why I highlighted some of those phrases in yellow, because it alternately asks the question, uh, do you have the wisdom to understand this, Job, or to make this happen? Do you have the understanding that God has to bring this about. Uh, I have a friend I've mentioned, I think, before, who is an artist. He lives in uh, Upper Bucks County, and I've gotten to know him over the last five years. I know very little about graphic arts, but I listen to him, and I, uh, I try to get him to talk about his craft. Some months ago, he said, you know, I've got a, uh, I've got a series of audio uh, discs that I've made that explain different aspects of, of the artist's craft. And he said, I've made them uh, short 10, 15-minute discussions, and uh, I sell them to my students so that while they are painting, they can actually be listening to me lecture on different elements of uh, what they're doing. <clears throat> and so I've listened to a, a number of those discs, and it's, uh, to me it's just quite remarkable, eye-opening, that there is so much involved in creating a good painting. There's light, and there's color, and there's edges, and there's perspective, 
all these things that go into the craft. And I listen to that, and, and the more I hear about it, the more taken I am with, on the one hand, what I don't know in regard to that whole process, but what I appreciate about the wisdom of the artist. And that's what's happening in these chapters in Job. God wants to lead Job to a place where he is lost in wonder over the artistry of the Creator. Now, notice that's a direction Job didn't anticipate. He, he wanted to get his time in court with God to talk about his own suffering and about the justice of the way that God runs the world. You notice to this point, that has not even been addressed. The basic question or issue in view is the wisdom of the artist who has made all these things. And, and Job's growing realization that he doesn't know very much about the way God has made and runs the world. So, in the opening of chapter 40, then, we have the wrap-up to what I would say is the, the first half of the court case. The Lord said to Job, Will the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? Let him who accuses God answer him. Then Job answered the Lord, I am unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I spoke once, but I have no answer. Twice, but I will say no more. Well, Job's going to have another response uh, in chapter 42, but let's look at this first response of his briefly. Job has been silenced. Job is growing in his understanding of how little he really knows of God's wise providence, God's governing of the world. He doesn't know what to say. On the other hand, he is not ready to withdraw his original claims. He's claimed that he is innocent. And of course, we know that that is true. Uh, because we know those first two chapters. Job's not backing away from that. He's not ready to talk. He's been silenced, but that's still an issue. And then there's this big issue of God's justice. Job has come to the point where he has charged God with unjust dealing. The scales of justice are broken, not just for Job, but remember the questions he would raise with his friends. I, I see situations where the wicked prosper and they die in a ripe old age, and, and that's not right. So God has not dealt justly. At this point, with Job's first response, he's still holding on to that, even though uh, he has gotten a, a new direction to think about, uh, a perspective that God governs the world wisely, 
Now we'll have to wait till next week to think about how these things are going to go together and what sort of resolution it brings for Job. At this point, his questions still haven't been uh, dealt with in a way that seems satisfactory to him. But he's got a new direction to think about. It's the knowledge, the wisdom, the craft of the divine artist. Well, uh, as I said, next week, you can uh, read chapters 40 through the end of the book, 40 to 42. And I might suggest also that you, you may want to go back and read chapter 28. That's a chapter we didn't talk about yet. And it, uh, it's at an interesting place in the book of Job, and it ties into the later chapters. So uh, I, think you'd be, uh, I think it'd be well to read that if, if you've been reading through. Go back and, and reflect on that uh, chapter couple specifics for your reflection. Do you, do I, read the book of nature on a regular basis? Do we believe what Psalm 19 says, that the heavens declare the glory of God? Or to say it the way we have said it uh, just in the last few minutes, do we believe that the skill, the wisdom, the perfection of the divine artist is revealed in what he has made. That's what Psalm 19 is saying. Uh, and, and out of that comes this question that is going to be the significant issue for Job. Are we convinced that God is wise? Uh, do you take the time to look at the beauty of the world around us and, um, and recognize in it the handiwork of God and give thanks and praise to him for all that he's made, whether it's a tree or a leaf, whether it's flowing water or the ocean or whatever it is that particularly speaks in that way. Do you cultivate those times as times of worship and uh, and fixing in yourself this conviction that God is wise. And that's, a, that's another reason to read Job 28, because it's a hymn, it's a great poem to the nature of wisdom and where you find it. And then related to that is this, does my confidence in God's wisdom, as it's revealed in creation, does that result in personal trust that God's purposes and plans for me are wise and good and kind. Now see, that's the move that Job has not made yet. He has been confronted with the wisdom of God and he says, well, I, I don't have any words to say, I'm, I'm silenced. You've asked me all these questions, I can't answer. But Job has not, at this point, at the end of chapter 39, made the transition to applying that purposefully and specifically to his own life. What about you? What about me? Uh, is our trust in God such that we say, yes, God is the source of all wisdom. He knows not only what to do, he knows how to do it in the best possible way. And so out of that, I learned to trust that God's purpose and plans for me 
are wise and good and kind. Does that speak into your life this day and this week? Well, we look forward to seeing you all next week, uh, either over the airwaves or uh, for a good number of you, we look forward to seeing you right here at church. Let me pray again God's uh, or Aaron's prayer of blessing over the house of Israel. Let me pray that over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace this day. Amen.